Well, good morning, City Light Lincoln Church. It's good to see all of you guys. My name is Austin, and I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're just joining us or you've been with us for uh, this whole year, in January, we started to uh, our journey through the Gospel of John. And uh, the whole purpose of this book, the whole reason it's, it's written, uh, John says in chapter 20, just a few verses before this, um, that we would, by, or by believing or discovering who Jesus is, we would believe in him and from that have eternal life, right? So that's the purpose of this book. That's why we've studied. That's why we're here. And I hope that's just the point of our church, right? That we discover who Jesus is and we believe in him. And from that, we have eternal life and tell other people about his name and fame. Um, But in this, uh, as we've walked through these passages, we've seen uh, that Jesus is the eternal God, right? Pre-existent uh, before time even began. Jesus is the Lamb of God that would be killed as our substitute. Jesus is the one person that can bring dead hearts to life. Jesus is the one person that can truly satisfy our souls. We've seen that Jesus is the healer, the provider of all things and the greatest gift we can ever be given. Jesus is the light of the world that's breaking into the darkest places. He's the one that can open blind eyes, set slaves free, and transform the hearts of rebellious sinners. Jesus is the shepherd that cares for us and protects us. He's the ultimate funeral crasher that defeated death and sin and Satan. He is the highest king that came to the lowest places to help the lowest people in the lowest way he is a foot washer. He is the only way, the beautiful truth, and the everlasting life. Jesus is peace for a troubled heart. He's the vine that gives life. He's the sovereign king ruling over everything in love, peace, and justice. Jesus is the only innocent person, but will be found guilty so that guilty people like you and I could be found innocent. He's the God that doesn't wait for us to come to him, but goes to us and dies for us. Jesus is the resurrected king. Death couldn't hold him down. Jesus is the wounded healer that loves and invites doubters, outcasts, prostitutes, deniers, betrayers, and rebels into his family. That's who Jesus is. There's no one like our Jesus. There was no one like him. There is no one like him, and there will never be anyone like him. Jesus is absolutely, irrevocably, positively, without a shred of a doubt, God. And by believing in him, we receive eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, adoption into the family of God in perfect righteousness. And that's just scratching the surface, church. Man, I'm saying Jesus is so much better than I could ever even explain. That's the Jesus we've learned about in the book of John. And so this morning, fitting with all that we've done and all that we will do, we're going to take another look at this Jesus and find another beautiful truth about him. Uh, We'll be in John chapter 1, but before we dive in, I just want to take a quick poll of the room and see who we've got in the room. Is that all right? So this is going to have some uh, action required, okay? So you got your Krispy Kreme, you got your coffee, you're set. Um, Okay, so uh, raise your hand if you've ever failed someone or failed at something. Okay, to shoot your hand up. Okay, friendship, a test, parents, siblings, kids. If you ever fail at all, raise your hand. Okay, good. You can put them down. Next one. Uh, Good job. Thanks for being honest. Uh, Next one. Raise your hand if you've ever failed to show grace in response to someone else's failure. Okay, someone like wrongs you and you just don't show them grace immediately. Okay, so we're all in this together. Okay, hopefully everyone raised their hand. Okay, so I want you just to, to, look, to the, look to the person next to you and just tell them, me too. Me too. Okay, now look to the other person and say, wow, you must need Jesus. Okay, say that. Uh, okay, some of y'all like that too much. 
Some of y'all like that too much. Um, uh, but, uh, man, okay, so that's good. That's good news. We've established uh, in the room that all of us have failed, right? Which is good because we can now relate. We have something in common with a man we're going to be studying, and his name is Peter, okay? And here's why this morning matters. Here's, here's why this matters. Not only have every single one of us in the room failed our friends or our family or a test, but we failed the eternal God of the universe, right? Like it's, it's serious. We've sinned against the perfect God. And the question becomes, is there room in the love of God for failures like you and I, right? Like, uh, does God just forgive the tiny failures, the small mess ups, or does he forgive even the darkest, most unspeakable sins, Is there room in the love of God for failures like you and I? Next question. Is there room in the mission of God for failures like you and I? Okay, so uh, does he just forgive us and then, he, and then we just wait and die and go to heaven and, and we're just like damaged goods? Are we disqualified or can Jesus use our failures for his glory and for his mission? That's the question. And I think that this morning, if we can answer those two questions, our lives and our view of Jesus will be dramatically changed. Okay, so that's where we're going to be this morning. Let's find out, though, uh, the answers to those questions. We'll read verses 1 through 14 one more time, so you can open your Bibles or follow on the screen. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they're not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Peter, or Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped from work, uh, for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. When they got out, uh, on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to him. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. First point this morning, we only have two. First point is Jesus loves failures. Jesus loves failures. Now, verse 14, he just says that this is the third time that Jesus revealed himself, okay? So to catch us up on speed, make sure, make sure we're all on the same page, um, about a week and, bef- week and a half before this event, Jesus died on a cross, okay? Uh, and and he, he told his disciples, hey, this is going to happen. I'm going to die. They're going to crucify me. Don't worry. I'm going to raise again. They forgot it. They panic, and they hide, hope no one sees them. Okay, but then three days later, Jesus raises from the dead, um, defeating death, sin, and Satan. So the undefeated, undisputed, heavyweight champion of the world, death, is now defeated by Jesus. Okay, so that's where we're at. And then he spends the next 40 days revealing himself to people, assuring them that he is indeed the Son of God and that he did raise from the dead. Okay, so that, that's where we're at. 
But in the meantime, his disciples are wondering how they're going to eat and what they're going to do with their lives, which sounds a lot like college, right? Uh, so anyways, they're, they're going through that season. Now, uh, uh, in verses 1 through 4, just to kind of sum it up, well, Austin, what ha- what's happening in verses 1 through 4? Well, let me tell you what I think is happening, okay? Uh, I picture the seven disciples, they're kicking back, right? They're on the couch, on the sectional, hanging out. Peter reaches into the bag of chips and realizes there's, there's just crumbs, right? And that's a sad story. And then Thomas is like, yeah, man, we're at a guacamole too. Okay, we need to fix something. And so uh, Peter's thinking, man, I'm hungry for some fish tacos and some guacamole. Hey, let me take this into my own hands. He invites the, his friends to go fishing with him to go catch some fish. And they're like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. So they go out. They don't catch anything. Uh, there was just an attempt to catch something. And as they're out there, they're like getting fed up and stuff like that some guy on the shore says, hey, uh, children, have you guys caught anything? Ashamedly, no, we, we haven't, you know, and, and he's like, oh, great, we'll just cast the net on the other side. They're thinking, like, really? The width of a boat's going to change whether we catch fish or not? Yeah, okay, but they're thinking, I'm at my wits end, let me just try it. So they go, they cast the net on the other side. Sure enough, they have such a big uh, load of fish, they can't even haul the net in, right? Uh, and, and, and so from this, uh, something sparks in John's mind, I think he's heard a narrative that sounds similar to this. And so uh, it sounds a lot like when Jesus called Peter to follow him. And so Peter tells, uh, Peter, I'm sorry, John tells Peter, Peter, it is the Lord, right? And before we look at what happens next, before we jump, I just want to stop there and, and think about this. In Luke chapter 5, that's when Jesus called Peter to be a fisher of men. So uh, Peter's out there um, trying to fish. Same story, doesn't catch anything. I don't know if that says anything about the kind of fisherman Peter was. But, but Jesus comes on the scene, same type of story, and tells him to cast his nets into the deep. And as Peter realizes who Jesus is, um, he, like he's like, oh, like, and so he catches all these fish. And as he realizes who he is, Peter just drops to the ground and is like, he says, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man, right? He can't even stand to be in his presence because he realized Jesus is who he is. And Jesus' response is, don't be afraid. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Uh, you're going to be catching men now. And so in this story, Jesus chooses Peter to be a fisher of men, and Peter decides to follow Jesus. That's Luke 5. And then Matthew 26, Jesus tells all of the disciples that they will abandon him and fall away, which is super motivational, right? Like just a good hype, like a coach, you know? And so, and so Peter's like, uh-uh, wait, no. Though they all may fail away because of you, I will never. Peter's just like, hey, they, they might deny you, but bro, you don't know my kind of love for you, okay? So he says, I won't do that. And Jesus is like, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times before the rooster even crows, right? Gives this... Uh, and then John 18 is the culmination. And so Peter actually does deny even knowing Jesus three times, one of them to a little girl. I mean, how devastating would that denial be? Have you ever done something that you swore you would never do? I have. And, and I mean, think about it. Think the, uh, about the, the guilt that probably would have invaded Peter's heart as he realizes he did the very thing he promised Jesus that he wouldn't. Any way you slice it, Peter failed. And so knowing all of this, how do you think Peter would respond to seeing Jesus, right? Like the one he failed, the one he let down, the one he sinned against. And I'm kind of expecting the, the shameful dog experience. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, so if you have a dog, or you've ever had a dog, you watch videos, they're hilarious. Uh, so basically what happens is you leave your dog at home. In his emotion, he gets a little caught up, has a buffet dinner on your shoes or your furniture, and then you come back home. And what happens? What does the dog do? 
like head down, like just, just like cowers down, won't even look at you in the eyes. It's like so shameful and so sorry, you know. And 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 um, because he he knows what he did wrong, but he doesn't want to accept the consequences. And that's kind of how I expect Peter to respond to Jesus, because I think that's a good indicator of how we normally respond to God, right? We do something wrong. We think, oh my gosh, he's out to get me. I shouldn't have done it. I got caught up in my emotions. And we think, I'm going to cower down and we're paralyzed by our guilt and our shame. But that's not what Peter does, is it? Verse 7 says that, that Peter, when he sees Jesus, he dives into the water and, to get to him as quickly as he can. What? Any normal human being in the world to say, I'm in a boat. This is a long ways off. You know, I'm just going to row this thing in and then I'm going to see him. But Peter couldn't wait that long. Like, there's no way that Peter waits that long. My, and, he, and he swims to him, but my question is why, right? Like, how could he do that with all that he's done wrong and the major ways he failed, failed Jesus? And it's one word, grace. Grace. The unmerited, unearned, undeserved love of God. I think Peter understood the grace that Jesus loves failures. See, in Luke 5, Peter falls on his face before Jesus, just like, man, I'm ashamed. I'm confessing my sinfulness. I I don't even belong around you. And then three years later, after Peter has a huge failure, he jumps in the water and swims to Jesus. Do you see how different those two things are? You have to ask the question, what happened? Well, in three years, Peter got to know who Jesus was right? He got to finally maybe understand grace. It finally clicked in his head. So I just want to say, church, if you want a litmus test to understand if you understand grace or not, how do you respond to God when you fail? Think about it, right? You, you, you want a litmus test just to understand, I mean, how, how do I really see God? Do I really understand grace? Well, how do you respond to him when you fail? Is it like the shameful dog? that puts your head down, expecting to be punished and scolded? Or is it like Peter running to Jesus because you know when you get there, he'll accept you with love, grace, and forgiveness? Do you understand grace? If, if I were just to ask you to close your eyes and picture Jesus looking at you, right? You're just going to turn around, man, what, what do you, and I were to ask, what, do you, what does he see when he looks at you? How do you think Jesus looks at you? What, what is your answer? And more specifically, how does he look at you when you sin and when you fail? Are his arms crossed? Is he tapping his foot, waiting for you to fail? Is he wagging his finger at you with a face of disappointment? Or do you see a loving Savior looking at you? One that has his arms open with an embracing smile on his face that says, come here with no hint of condemnation. How, how, How is Jesus looking at you? See, if we run away from God when we sin, it reveals what we think about God, okay? So, so uh, what happens is if we're like, okay, I can come to God and I can come to church and I'm all good because I've been acting good and haven't failed, what it shows is that we're saying our behavior is what makes us right with God, right? And we're saying if I fail and if I don't do good, I can't come before God. We're saying that you can come before God because you are a good person and you can't if you're a bad person. You, are you walking with me, the logic of how that, wa- that works out? And so we think that we can come before God but because what we've done, not because of what Jesus has done. But if when we sin, we run to Jesus, we're showing that we trust the gospel, 
We trust you. So we're saying, I'm not coming to you. I don't have favor with you because I'm good and I read my Bible and I went to church this week. We're saying, I can come to you because Jesus paid the price. He's my perfection on my behalf. Your confidence isn't in not sinning. It's in believing that Jesus was perfect for you. And so, let's see, if Jesus were to say, hey, we all have different views of Jesus, how does he actually respond, or how does he actually reveal himself? And we see in verses 9 through 14, they all get to the land, right? And Jesus has a fire going with fish on it, and bread already laid out. And then Jesus tells them to grab more fish, and then he says in verse 12, hey, come, come and have breakfast. What a sweet invitation. Like, like, but remember who Jesus is talking to. Okay? A bunch of dudes that were just hiding behind locked doors. They scattered because they were afraid. Uh, Men that denied him when it really mattered. Men that failed. And what does Jesus do? He offers them fish tacos, guacamole, and a good conversation. Isn't that amazing? Like, that's the Jesus we serve. And I think this is a beautiful picture, not just of how God responds to us in our failure, but I think it's also an example of how we should respond to others in their failure. We're going to apply this to our lives. We're going to try and test this out and be like Jesus. Well, this is a great picture. See, Jesus' lead foot wasn't to convict Peter of everything he did wrong, was it? Like, like his lead foot was grace and provision and being with him. Jesus didn't bring this long list of everything Peter did wrong. No, he, he brought breakfast and said, let's eat, right? Like, and so I just think, if you want to cloud the gospel in people's lives, continue to enforce rules, be vigilant about spir- spiritual improvement, and never have any fun if you want to cloud the gospel in people's lives. Now, if you want to make the gospel clear in people's lives, hang out with them. Build trust. Have dinner with them. Invite them over. Uh, share the love of Jesus. Open up your Bible. And then, after you've built trust, then start to lovingly convict some of the areas that they've gone wrong, right? But do it as a friend, not as like some cop that you think that you're this justice cop, right? Be a friend to the people. That's what Jesus does. He doesn't even bring it up. He doesn't even bring it up. And so I, w- I want us as a church to be bold with calling sin what it is. It is sin. Don't, we're not saying don't, don't acknowledge sin. No, acknowledge sin for what it is and call it what it is. But at the same time, be bold with proclaiming the love and forgiveness of Jesus when you call sin what it is. Does that make sense? To balance on that. Grace is the thing that changes people's hearts, and that's what happened to Peter. He experienced grace. So if you feel like a failure, I've got good news. Jesus loves failures. Amen? But the good news doesn't stop there. It gets even better. Uh, Let's read in verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, well, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. My second point, simple, Jesus uses failures. Jesus uses failures. So uh, Peter publicly denied Jesus, right? And now 
Jesus is going to publicly restore Peter. So thus far, there's kind of an elephant in the room, right? Like no one's really addressed the fact that Peter dropped the ball in a pretty big way to Jesus. Did, did he just forget or something? Or, or what's going to happen? You're waiting like, is he going to drop the hammer, like fatten up the calf to, like, to go to the slaughter? I don't know what he's doing, but something's going to happen. And, and that's probably what Peter's thinking. But after they get done eating and enjoying time together, Jesus turns to Peter in verse 15 and says, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Now notice that Jesus doesn't say anything about Peter's denial, right? He speaks right to the heart and asks about love. And this whole passage never says anything about denial. He just says, the question he asks is, do you love me? I want us to understand that Jesus is a great physician. He's the great physician. He doesn't just treat the symptoms, he treats the cause. Okay, so if you have this massive headache, right, and it's throbbing, you go to the doctor and the doctor prescribes you Tylenol over and over and over again, but the real problem is that you have a brain tumor, how ridiculous would that be, right? So, so Jesus is showing us, don't just treat the symptoms, treat the cause. Let me actually take out that tumor and not just kind of subside the pain temporarily. See, Peter's problem wasn't denial, it was love, and in the same way, if you're struggling with lust, uh, anger, um, lying, misplaced identity, pornography, anxiety, depression, uh, suicide, a lack of desire for Jesus, or any other struggle, that's probably not the root. Uh, that's probably not the main problem. It's just a symptom. So I have a, I have a friend um, uh, that, str- uh, that struggles through an eating disorder, and she gave me some in- insight, and she said for her, her main struggle wasn't body image or self-image. It wasn't weight loss. It wasn't anorexia. Her problem was actually control. The root of her problem, she dug deeper, it was control. Um, and it was so insightful to see, oh, oh wow, like, um, she was saying, my, my life is chaos, and I can't control anything, but I can control how many calories I take in and how much I weigh. And so Jesus is just showing, hey, take a deeper look into your heart, into your sin. Don't just treat the symptoms. And uh, a mentor of mine told me, and this is so insightful, he said, constantly ask the question, what's the sin under the sin? Okay? So my friend that struggles through an eating disorder, her sin under the sin was control. But if you try and treat weight loss and anorexia and all these reasons why you don't do that, the problem's never solved, right? Like you still have that heart issue and it'll just manifest in different ways. And so as you battle through sin, as you fight sin in your life, Jesus is showing us to look deeper into what the real problem is. And for Peter, and for most of us in the room, it was an issue of love. But what did Jesus mean in verse 15 when he said, do you love me more than these? Well, there's a couple options, but I think the most probable is he's asking, do you love me as you claimed more than these other disciples love me? Okay, so we talked in Matthew 26. Uh, Peter boasted in his love for Jesus, almost in contrast with other people, right? He said, hey, Matthew 26, uh, 33, they might fail you, they might run away, but I won't run away. He's, ba- he's basically saying, I love you more. I, more than them, I'm not gonna do what they would do. I have a different commitment to you and a different love for you. And Jesus asks in this passage, do you love me more than these other guys love me? He's asking, hey, I know you claim to that, but do you really think that? And Peter's response, he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But, but, but notice he doesn't say, you know I love you more than these. He doesn't say the more than these part, right? And so through Peter's failure, God did something extremely gracious. He humbled Peter. 
And to all of our self-righteous religious hearts in the room, when we're tempted to think, you know what, I love Jesus more than that person, or I'm a little bit better than the person next to me, I hope God does what he did to Peter. He humbles us. Friends, we're capable of some pretty dark sin, whether you want to admit it or not. And he would just say, hey, level the playing field. It's not about how much you love me. And see, what Peter the Strong needed to know was that Jesus loved Peter the Weak right? Jesus loves Peter the weak, and so Peter was finally starting, re- starting to realize that his confidence wasn't in his love for Jesus. It was in Jesus's love for him. And so don't be mistaken. The banner over the Christian's life isn't, look how much I love Jesus. It's, look how much Jesus loves me. That's our confidence. That's our boast. So the question becomes, is our love for Jesus essential in our relationship with him? Absolutely. But is it sufficient? No. 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. So we have to understand, our love is only a response to his love, okay? His love comes in first, his love changes our hearts, and we love. So we can never love him more than he loves us. Our love is only a reciprocal love to his initiating love. Does that make sense? So our boast is his love. Not that we'll never deny him, but that he'll never deny us. Not that we love him so much, but that he loves us so much. And then Jesus responds to Peter and says, feed my lambs, right? His, his first response, feed my lambs. Now, I want us to stop and actually think about this. Wait, Jesus, you, you want to use Peter? Like the one that denied you, the one that failed you, the one that misplaced your trust? Like he, he might mess up again, right? But, but Jesus is saying, yeah, that's, that's who I want to use. And if we're being honest, our natural response when we see people in sin is to think, oh, man, you need to get yourself better. You need to clean yourself up. You need to try a little bit harder, do a little bit better. You can't be used. And Jesus would say, no, that's exactly who I want to use. It's grace. And Jesus says, man, tend my sheep. It says again, do you love me? Yeah, uh, you know I love you. Tend my sheep. And a third time, Jesus asks, do you love me? And at this point, Peter's grieved because he's like, I've already answered your question twice. Why do I have to answer it again? And so Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Now remember, Jesus denied, or I'm sorry, Peter denied Jesus three times. And how many times does Jesus ask Peter if he loves him? Three times. This is restoration. I know you failed, but now you're, like, I know I've restored you, and now you've publicly declared your love for me and my love for you. For every time Peter failed, Jesus is now offering him a chance to proclaim his love for Jesus, and he states his mission every time. It's incredible. But if we're being honest, if, if I'm in Peter's situation, I'm like, I'll be shocked, right? Like, wait, what? You want to entrust me with your mission? I'm a failure. I let you down. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not clean enough. I'm not committed enough. And to all those doubts, Jesus would say, I still want to use you. You're the perfect person for the job. Broken, messy, unfaithful past. I still want to use you. John Piper is an author and a pastor that I widely uh, respect and admire. And he said, the difference between Uncle Sam and Jesus Christ is that Uncle Sam won't enlist you in his service unless you're healthy. And Jesus won't enlist you in his service unless you're sick. That incredible? The difference between the way Jesus works. So uh, um, uh, Mark 2.17, Jesus says, um, it's not the, the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinner. 
And so Jesus came for the weak, for the dirty, for the broken, not the good, not the polished up, not the professional. Jesus is saying, friends, only failures qualify. Only failures qualify. And so you want, you want my love, Jesus is saying? Admit that you're broken and hard to love. Oh, you want to be used for my mission? Admit that you can't do it on your own. Like, just admit it. You don't have to act like you've got it all together because we know someone that does. It's like Jesus is picking teams for volleyball. He's picking his own team, and he picks the awkward kid in the back that won the science fair last year. You're like, hey, Jesus, not a great idea, bro. Like, but, but it makes no sense to us, right? The way God chooses and who he chooses to use for his mission. I mean, it's just, it's wild. First uh, Corinthians one twenty seven, uh, Paul writes, but God chose the foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak to shame the strong. That's what he did with Moses and with Gideon and with David and with so many others. He chooses the unlikely, the untalented, the unprepared, the failure and the unequipped and God does the work. Why? So that at the end of the day, our only boast is in Jesus Christ. Amen. To say, man, it's not me. There's no way it could be me. It's all you. And so do you feel broken? Do you feel unusable? Do you feel unlovable? Do you feel like you've messed up spiritually so many times that now you're spiritually handicapped from actually um, being used by God? Do you feel that way? Listen, you're the perfect candidate for grace if you feel that way. He uses our weaknesses to accomplish his will. That means that our failures, this is so huge to realize, that means that our failures shouldn't distance us from Christ. They should draw us to him, right? God wants to use us in our mess. He didn't say, hey, Peter, go prove yourself and be good for a certain amount of time and read your Bible and do this and do that. He said, in your mess, I'm gonna restore you and say, I'm going to use you. I've got a job for you. And in the same way, friends, you don't, when you sin, you don't have to try and read your Bible and make sure you come to church and be better before God loves you or uses you. No, he'll love you in the mess and he'll use you in your mess. And then in verses 18 and 19, he, he, he kind of concludes it. And, and if you notice, in every one of Peter's response to Jesus, he says that you know everything, right? Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. You know everything. And in these last verses, Jesus lets Peter in on what will happen to him. He did indeed know what would happen. And his church tradition would have it, Peter would be killed and crucified for following Jesus, and, he, and as he's going there, he's pleading, hey, please don't crucify me the same way my Lord was crucified. I don't, I'm not worthy of that. Would you crucify me upside down? And, and he did, and he died. He was crucified upside down. Well, what a trophy of God's grace. Jesus is affirming Peter, yeah, you do love me. And he's saying, you will die in utter faithfulness to me. I mean, isn't that amazing to see that promise? And it's kind of bittersweet if we're being honest. It's like, yes, I'm gonna be faithful to Jesus. I'm gonna die for him. Hey, wait, what? How am I gonna die? Like, wait, are you sure that's what you got from, okay, uh, all right, let me see if I can change something up. Uh, but nonetheless, man, how sweet and how encouraging would these words have been? Honestly, I, I would love for Jesus to tell me this. Austin, don't be afraid, man. You, you'll, you'll be faithful to the end. Wouldn't that be fun to have Jesus say that to you? I hope, that, I hope that's all of us. Jesus changed a denier into a proclaimer of truth. 
in just a short time in Acts 2, Peter, the failure, preaches a sermon and 3,000 people get saved. I mean, God used him to write two books in our Bible. It's, it's amazing to see, church, do not be mistaken, God uses failures. That's what he's done all along. He's done it, he's doing it, and he'll continue to do it. That's how he works. Man, John 21 shows us that great failures make great followers because they've experienced a great forgiveness. Amen? Great failures make great followers because they, they've experienced a great forgiveness. That's the gospel. Not only does God forgive you, not only does he love and cherish you, but he also wants to use you. So if you feel like a failure, I've got good news for you. Jesus uses failures. But what about the person in the room that doesn't feel like a failure, Right? Being honest, we got a big group of people. I don't know where you come from or what your background is, but what about the person that doesn't feel like a failure? That's got your stuff pretty put together and you haven't fallen in a big way and, and you haven't had a big mess up. Maybe you grew up in the Christian home, accepted Jesus early on and have never really got caught up in the bad stuff. Why is this good news to you? Well, um, frankly, you might have a disadvantage on savoring the beauty of grace. Just being honest, laying it out there, right? Some of our stories, mine, have clear and overt failures which don't leave a sliver of opportunity for me to start boasting of myself or thinking I can be good enough. I can't. You show me my resume and I will fall. Like, I just can't. But for your story, maybe you haven't had a big mess up. Maybe you haven't had a big failure. And so why? And maybe you don't identify as a failure. But, you, but your failure might be might be more sneaky, right? The sin in your life might be more hidden, a little bit harder to see, and frankly, more religiously acceptable. See, your failure could be failing to see your failure. Your failure could be forgetting to acknowledge your moment-by-moment, second-by-second, deep need for Jesus' grace. Your failure could be lazily remembering that at one point in time, it doesn't matter if it was five years old, you were running away from God, wanting nothing to do with him, and he chased after you. Your failure could be that seeing your sins and your struggles as more acceptable and less punishable than someone else's. Your failure could be thinking that Jesus is just interested in good moral rule followers. We have to understand, this story shows us that Jesus is more jealous for our love than he is zealous for our works. He doesn't say, hey Peter, you gonna work hard for me? Hey Peter, you gonna deny me? What does he ask? Do you love me? He, he's concerned with his love, right? And so Jesus isn't looking for good moral people. He's looking for people that love him. And so maybe this morning, Jesus isn't asking you, are you doing the right thing? Are you saying the right thing? Are you giving the right amount? Because you are. What he might be asking you is what he asked Peter and what's ultimately important. Do you love me? Do you love me? Listen, don't be afraid to admit you don't have your life together. You'll nullify the grace of God. You'll put it to the side if you think that you're good enough. So Jesus' grace frees us to admit, yeah, I'm a little bit messy. I'm a failure. Amen? Like he frees us to do that. And I, I don't know where we all are in the room, but I remember thinking that I was unlovable and unusable. See, I, I don't know where you are, but the hardest sins in my life to accept forgiveness for aren't the sins I committed before I knew Jesus. They're the sins I committed after I've known Jesus. I know better. I know where the well of satisfaction is, and yet I dig into these other places and search for love and joy. 
Now, my senior year of college, um, I'm in a relationship with, uh, with an amazing woman, and uh, it was going really well, but I messed up in a big way and sinned against her. Uh, and if you know me at all, you know that I'm, I champion confession, right? It's so good to let other people know what you're, what's going on in your life and just let, uh, just air it out, right? Tell um, the other person what's wrong, but I didn't confess this sin. Um, I, I didn't tell my girlfriend or anyone else, and it ate at me. And I figured, man, if, if I brought it to light, then she wouldn't love me. And, and, and I, honestly, I thought I'd be disqualified from ministry, from doing anything in the church. And so I kept it to myself. And every single day, it ate at me. And anytime I ever did something good, I felt like Satan was reminding me of what I did wrong. I know she loves you, and I know your relationship's great, but if she knew that, she wouldn't love you. I know they want to hire you. I know they want you there. But if they really knew what you did and who you are, they wouldn't want you there anymore. And that sinful incident festered inside of me and ate away at me more and more. And I graduate college and I travel to South Africa for six months to be a missionary. And in, in that first month, my, my uh, girlfriend and I got engaged and she was now my fiance and she still didn't know. I mean, I thought, she's probably going to break it off and, and it's better for me, it's just safer for me to keep it to myself. And so maybe I don't say anything. And, and so I, I keep it to myself and I'm festering in this sin. And finally, last month I'm there, I just can't hold it. I can't maintain it. I can't keep it anymore. I'm just like, man, I, I have to confess and tell her. So I'm sitting down and I'm tears in my eyes and I'm just saying over and over, I just told her and I'm saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And just expecting complete judgment and for her to walk away. And she leans in, she puts her arm around me, and she says, I love you, and I forgive you. No strings attached. And that was the first time in my entire life that I understood what grace was. For years, it was just a good idea. And now I actually saw it. No strings attached, extravagant, free grace and love. And I married that woman and she proclaims Jesus to me every single day and shows me grace more than anyone else in my life. And so Kristen, my wife and I, we get to sit across the table from people all the time that are going through struggles and trying to forgive each other, and God graced us with the gift of saying, I've been there. She's had to forgive me of deep sin. I've had to humbly accept and ask for forgiveness. I mean, it's like, and so we've got to do that. And I've been able to proclaim to so many people, Jesus doesn't just, he didn't just die for the small sins in our lives that are acceptable socially. He died for the deepest, most unspeakable sins. And I've seen people freed from the grip of shame and guilt because of that. And so if there's something on your chest here this morning that you're struggling with, you've kept inside for years or months or whatever it is, Jesus paid for that. It was nailed to the cross when you trusted in him. Like, it's done. It's, it's forgiven. And so why would you ever not accept forgiveness for that? Why wouldn't you ever let other people into your life to see how grand and how great Jesus is? Listen, Jesus isn't glorified by just having a bunch of good moral people. He's glorified by seeing a bunch of messy people saved by his grace. So you want to act like you're perfect, you're belittling Jesus. You want to confess that you're broken, you're exalting him. And so I just want to say, man, there's freedom. Don't you dare for a second think that your failures and your mess-ups disqualify you from his love or from his mission. Only failures qualify. It didn't disqualify Peter, and it won't disqualify you. Friends, Jesus loves failures. He uses failures, and he loves you. 
this morning we get to take communion and I'm wildly excited to do this act with our family because here's what's happening. We're getting in two lines. We're doing the same exact activity. We're breaking the bread, dipping it in the juice and, and we're proclaiming together that Jesus alone has saved us, that his body had to be broken for us, that his blood had to be shed for us. And so what happens is we're going to get a, a, a person up here that, that has had his life pretty well together, right? Grew up in the Christian church, uh, loved Jesus, got to spend time with him, has, has, has really done a good job at fighting sin and cleaning himself up. We're going to get that person. And right next to him, we're going to get the person that's been addicted to drugs and alcohol and, and just walked through so much things. Maybe they're sober, maybe they're in the midst of it. And behind that person, there's going to be a girl that's struggling with an eating disorder that's just fighting to say, man, do I believe that I'm beautiful? And you're going to have next to a person, a guy that's just struggling with failure. Can I be used by God? Does he love me? Does he care about me? I, I don't know. And you're going to get four people back. There's a, there's a guy that's saying, man, I'm trying to fight pornography and I'm falling into it over and over and over. When a girl next to him that says, man, I've been sleeping with my boyfriend. I don't know if God loves me anymore. And I'm just saying, this is a family meal into all that sin. Jesus says, come and eat. Come and believe that I'm good enough. Come and believe that I really do love failures and, I've, and I use failures. And it's just as a family to say, yeah, we're broken and we're messy, but there's a seat at the table for you. And so if you're in the room and you've never placed your faith in Jesus and you feel like your failures are too big for him to forgive, they're not. He loves you. He's crazy about you. And, and I'm just saying, man, would you come to realization that he's forgiven you and this is offering to you. So if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, would you do that? Nothing is holding you back. There's no sin too great that he can forgive. And so I just would invite you to that. And would you make that, would you proclaim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, have him, uh, just accept him as your grace and your righteousness, and would you place your faith in him this morning? And would you come and take communion with us as a family? Um, I'm just so grateful that's the Jesus we have and that's the family we have. Amen? Let's pray.